Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Sent to Be Human, your literary podcast. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, author, and definitely a host of this show. This is going to be episode 128, and we're calling this uh, Fundamentals of Poetry Composition. Now, I've touched on some of this before in the past on different episodes, but I wanted to put one all together that really just sort of had some general solid rules on how to become a better poet writer. Excuse me, a better, better poem writer, rather. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that we all had a... Um, not only a, a stronger gist of it, but also that we're all on the, on the same page about some of the things that are really are necessary. They're not just my rules, and some of them might seem that way only because I approach it a little different than other folks do, but they still are fundamentals that are necessary. You just need to go in possibly a different order based on how you might write. So you, you might not have to go the exact order that I'm going to do on this show. But they're still important fundamentals. I noticed a lot of this as an editor of Aerial Chart, uh, my international literary journal, where I have to instruct people sometimes on certain things. Some of them are newer to the craft, and others, uh, sometimes they, they forget. And we'll, 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 we'll go through all that, and you'll see why some people forget certain things or, you know, get themselves in, in a corner, so to speak, because... If you're doing something for a long time, it doesn't always necessarily mean you're an expert. It could just mean that, you know, some things you're doing by heart, some things you're doing by instinct, some things you're just doing by by routine. But as you go into new territory, again, you might need to go back to sometimes the fundamentals and on to put yourself in a, you know, a better position. So let's go about this. And, you know, I like to go step by step because I think it's better for the show. And I think it also helps people to sort of remember things easier rather than just just you know freely talking about all billion subjects at once you know in a show all right so this is the fundamentals of poetry composition now we'll talk about rhyme here just for a moment but most of this show is going to be structured uh or rather predicated on on free verse okay but i want to talk about rhyme only in the understanding that it's still a very old-fashioned way of going about things it doesn't always fit the modern times i mean other than you know a, a cheesy like hallmark card or something like that so when it's done it's hard to be done well it's hard to be done fresh it's hard to be done that it sounded new and that corny i, I don't care how much you're observing to meter and, and, and how great the rhymes could be or the near rhymes can be it's extremely hard to be original because so much has been done. And one of the problems with rhyme. And remember I am not saying this because I hate rhyme. Or it's fun to mock rhyme users. It's just that when you go into that territory. Ultimately it hurts you as a writer. In the modern day that we're in. Because rhyme is 
in itself a, a restrictive way of going about things. It has a very limited shelf life. It has a very finite amount of options. I mean, how many times can you say night, right, flight? And, you know, you sound like a Bon Jovi song. It's just, it, it gets a little corny after a while. And I find that sometimes it's not really the best thing to do when you're just starting out as a writer or even as a poet because it automatically, in some people's eyes, including mine, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, it, it'll mark you as just somebody that's just not really prepared to go, uh, go, you know, the extra mile. It, I feel that if you're going to do some rhymes, either do it in tight, a free verse here and there, just to sort of keep it fresh and interesting, or, or maybe wait until you get a little bit more based in, in your poetry that, that you've gotten some more experience and some time, you feel more mature and confident that you can now explore the rhyme. It's just something I think that should come later rather than the beginning. I still publish new poets that do this as long as it's decent enough. I, I like to give people a chance, but I always I always give them a little email. Sorry, it almost sounds like an admonishment. I just remind them, don't stick to this forever, please, because you're not going to get too much better. And you do want to explore other forms, whether that be free verse or haiku or other things. Why not? Even a sonnet, even in this day and age, is better than just doing a whole bunch of rhyme couplets. But still, I accept it. I keep my mind open to it. But those are the facts and people better to learn those than to not. Because you send a whole bunch of rhyme and poetry out. I mean, you're talking about nearly 100% rejection. That's little what you're going to get. Most people... Uh, meaning most editors, I mean, they they hear two rhymes and they're already throwing it in the garbage. That's that's how rough it can be for for some folks. So it's already hard enough to get published, folks. Don't reduce your chances even further by doing that. So please take the advice and and take that seriously. All right, all right. Well, with that said, let's start about free verse. That's really what most of the show and about the fundamentals of poetry composition is about. Is is free verse. That's mostly what we all write. That's mostly what's that's pretty much published. If you were to put a chart together of poetry being published, not just in America, but across the world, you know, I mean, you could literally say that free verse probably represents at least 75 to 80% of it. And all the rest of that stuff is either, you know, haiku or, 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 or some rhyming poetry. Although, you believe it or not, haiku is pretty pretty big and popular in a lot of places. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if haiku represents like 20 more percent of that and rhyming is just a little bit. Because not that folks are not writing the rhyming poems, it's just that lots of that is just not being accepted. I mean, when was the last time you really read too much rhyming poetry? I mean, I know it sounds strange that uh, in many ways it sounds like I'm talking against it and I still publish it. So I'm, I'm not trying to be inconsistent and God knows I'm not a hypocrite. It's just that it's no way to really be black and white on that. You could tell people it's limited. You want to be careful with it, but at the same point, I don't want to. I don't want to discourage anybody that's trying to do their best and, and, and does a decent job. But I also remind them, uh, this is this is your last chance with me on this. The next time you send something, it better be something different. I'm not going to be doing rhyming from a person again and again and again. I just don't. I don't ever do that. They get that one chance, and that's that. Hopefully they learn and go someplace else, you know, and some do, some don't. It's hard to know, but being sometimes consistent on things, it, it can be very boring and, and restrictive in its own right. Okay, so just keep that in mind. 
All right, so I have a, I have some strange gray areas in that. I'll, I'll accept it, but you know it does have a limited life. Now, with that said, since the great majority of what's been published out there, and of course what's also being written out there, is free verse, that's what we're going to structure a lot of these fundamentals on for the show, okay? Because it'll benefit the most people, and it's the easiest thing to talk about, really. And, and quite frankly, um, I probably have the most experience in it. Than, than some of the other forms. I mean, I've written some haiku before. I respect it, but it's just not my forte. And and I don't really wish to try to explore it anymore. It's just not it's not my strength. Free verse is. And I feel extremely comfortable in it. Now, and I mention this a great deal on the show. I mention it to people privately in emails. I reject poems based on this. Titles, okay? All right, if we want to make this... Uh, a subtopic, I mean, we could call it titles matter. Because titles truly matter. Here's why. Now, they matter first and foremost in, in my in my serious opinion. Because in many ways, the title is sort of like a marketing banner for your poem. It gives immediate direction to the reader. Oh, they're going to go there. Now... I'm not saying it always has to do that, but most of the times it does. And most of the times, that's not a bad thing, okay? I mean, it's all wonderful, you know, to be obscure and mysterious and spiritual and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not against all that. I published that. I like that personally, okay? But as a reader, there's sometimes you just want things, you know, put out right there and you want to be able to see it and get this going. You don't want to be sitting there scratching your head 10 o'clock at night. You know, um, I'm, I'm not really getting the cosmic significance of this damn thing. And what the hell does this title mean? Because when they go in that direction, you're not really making a connection. And I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million times more. A great part of your job as a writer, whether it's a poet or anything else, is to make that connection. Okay? If they're scratching their head or, or they're thinking too hard about what you're trying to say or what you're trying to get across... Or if it's just purposely being difficult so they can't get that, you're not always helping them and you're definitely not going to help yourself. Okay? Because people remember your name then. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. Uh, I don't know what the hell he said last time, so I don't know if I want to read the new thing he's doing. So does that sound like a good impression? No. So try to keep that in mind. If impressions matter to a certain extent in your social well-being and your texting and in 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 your Facebooking or Instagramming or whatever the hell you want to call that, Twittering or whatever, if that all matters, then why wouldn't the title of your poem matter in that same respect? So try to keep that in mind, okay? I'm not trying to say everything needs to be black and white. You need to draw some giant sign from here to Arkansas. This poem's about love, okay? I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, you shouldn't strive. To be too damn mysterious that we don't know what the hell you're talking about. First of all. And second of all. Titles. They need to not be cliche. They need to not be so damn common. You're a writer. Let other things be common. Let other common things stay common. You're supposed to be uncommon. That's why you're a writer. Okay. I've said this probably ten times in the show. I might say it ten more times. Alright. I literally keep... A short little book of the dumbest titles I get on earth. 
and they're all the most ridiculous things that you can think of. And oftentimes, the poem is good, but the title sucks. Night. Nature. Love's delight. I don't even know if I can actually reject that fast enough. I mean, I might have the Guinness Book of World Records on rejection, something like that, okay? Our job as writers is to try to renew people's impressions, renew people's lives in a certain way, certainly renew their senses. You're not doing that if you're calling your poem nature, okay? I literally have a book that says I've rejected poems called nature at least 26 to 28 times already in the four years that I've been the editor of this publication. I can't even count the ones on the other editors I was you know, assistant editor or contributing editor or whatever. I mean, really. So it's it's utterly ridiculous, okay? You're not doing the poem any service. You're not doing yourself any service. And guess what? You're really not doing the reader any service. Sometimes I think people, like writers, forget that. You, you know, you're supposed to be speaking to somebody else on the other end. So calling your poem night, you're not helping anybody, Okay. Love's Delight. What the hell is that? Is that a new condom that's coming out? Because it, it, it shouldn't be the name of a poem. Alright? I mean, really. So that's why I say this. Titles, they matter. Okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you all how you should go about your titles. What I mostly do, and this is not something you have to do. We all have a different ritual. We all have a different a road to get to how we want to create our poem. So, I tell you, and I share mine, that's fine. It doesn't mean you have to do this. But oftentimes, more times than not, I already have my title. And then from there, I draw up my poem. In many ways, the title for me gives me internal direction on how to form, structure, or maybe even some of the content of that poem. It might take some work to get to where I want, but I'm already feeling comfortable by having the title already. And because of that, and because of the way I particularly work, that poem will eventually see the light of day and get submitted someplace because I'll continue to work on it versus having a couple cool lines I might like or maybe even a paragraph or something I feel strong about without a title. I mean, it could sit in a notebook until we have a Burger King on the moon, you know? I mean, because for some reason, I don't care about it as much. Why I do this ritual and what the mystery it is, who the hell knows? I don't even know, okay? I'm just telling you that's how it happens for me. And this is why I do it this way. But titles matter, not just because this is what Mark Anthony Rossi says, because this is how he goes about things. They matter because, again... They are your first connection to the audience, to that reader. And if it's something corny, if it's something that's misleading, if it's something that's ridiculous, if it's something that simply is unpoetic, which I cannot believe how many times I get titles that are unpoetic. You're a damn poet. This is supposed to be a friggin' poem. How the hell does your title sound like a like, like you just read off a, like a, a Colgate bottle or something? Come on now. It, it shouldn't be stale and boring. And here is the irony of it all. Okay? The incongruity of it all. 
the poem tends to be pretty damn good. When I see that combination, the first thing I say to myself as the editor is, here's somebody that hasn't even damn thought about the title. They worked on the poem. It came out pretty damn good. I'm pretty happy with it as an editor until I see the title and I'm like, oh Christ, what is this? So it's obvious to me that they came up with the title at the last minute after we were done with the poem, rushed it off and went on to something else. This is where you fail, okay? Because I'm telling you right now, I don't give a crap. If you give me 18 excellent lines and the title sucks, the poem is going out the window. It's just not going to work for me. It's not going to work for my publication. I'm not going to allow it. Now, unlike many other editors out there, I'll actually communicate with people because we don't do form letters at, at Aerial Chart. We don't do any of that nonsense, okay? I'll simply say, listen, I like this poem. This title sucks. This title is not poetic. This title is cliche. I can't tell you how many different times I say it. Every so often I have to say sucks, believe it or not, because it's just that horrible. They get offended. Sometimes they never get back to me. Sometimes they do. Oh, well. But I give them a chance to come up with something better, to ghastly think of something rather than just throwing some junk on there. And then they can bring it back to me. And if it's really good and I'm comfortable with it, I'll publish that poem. So in many ways, it's, it's less of rejection and more of like, listen, man, why don't you rethink this and get back to me? Let me tell you something, folks. Almost always, I wind up publishing the poem. But you'd be surprised at how many people are actually willing to go back there and fix the title. I even had a few commonly get back to me and get upset about it. Well, I never. Well, you're right. You're never going to get published to Aerial Chart. You got that right. You're not going to deal with me either. Because I'm giving you sound advice over here. Come on now. And if I can get 10 editors together, even if we're all very different about our philosophy, I guarantee you they're all going to say, Love's Delight sucks as a poem title, okay? All 10 of them. Boop. I guarantee you it. So I don't feel like I'm out on some edge someplace, all right? But I have a good policy about that, and I'm very happy with it. It works. Um, I'm always, always happy when people reach we change the title it always tends to be something a whole lot better sometimes i'm like that is so excellent i wish the hell they would have came with that in the first place remember how many you, you guys don't seem to realize and you girls don't seem to realize sometimes you're going to get rejected you're not going to get any kind of clue at all i mean should it not be in the back of your mind you think my title might suck because a lot of times these others won't tell you anything they're like Ugh, and they go to something else at least I'm willing to take the time to do that for you. But it's a good lesson for you to learn so you don't have to get in that jam. All right? Titles matter. So keep that in mind. Okay? If you're going to do this title after the poem is done, which seems to be a great majority of people from what I can see. Because remember, I, I see... Thousands of submissions at this point over the last four years. I mean, that's, so that's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration or some number I threw out. That's just that's actually the truth. Uh, it's not hard to tell from some of the patterns. So it's really not hard to tell. So if that's how you want to 
put together your poem. So that's your ritual. That's what you feel comfortable with. That's great. But maybe you should give some more time then to the title after you're done. All right, I'm done with this poem. I'm happy with it. How I want to go about indicating to the world what it could be about or what's going to really cut the icing on the cake here or something. Great. Maybe I need a moment for that. That's what you need. Throwing it out there right away like you're done. Bad idea. You're not done. Okay? So give that some real weight. Give that some real thought. And you'll have a much more better success rate on getting things accepted. And you're going to feel a lot better about your poetry when you when you start connecting better with yourself on these titles. Because you're going to notice something. When you get better at doing that, you're going to feel more encouraged about your writing. You're going to feel more self-inspired. I know that sounds like a strange term. But it means like you're inspiring yourself because you're feeling like, yeah, I'm getting the mojo here. I'm getting this I'm getting this gig down. I, I, I got the rhythm going and everything. Because when you do that, you'll get better at doing the titles. You won't have to be struggling as much. It's like anything else. You know, I don't believe this perfect in writing because I don't really believe in perfect. Just like practice makes perfect to me. It's always been a stupid expression. But practice really does make better. And if you don't practice it, you're never really going to be better at it. And you can't expect that incredible strikes of inspiration and, and, and the muse speaks to me and the angels are talking. And it's always going to happen. That's few and far between. You know? Hey, Mark, man, this title came out of the blue, man. Hey, you're right. That's excellent. But uh, most of the time, that's not going to happen. you got to work at it, okay? So start, rig- start realizing that, and you can start getting your poetry better, okay? All right. Next. Structure needs to be considered. And this is what I say about this, because I've had to counsel a number of poets about this. Hell, is this as recently of a couple days ago, okay? Oftentimes, it's the most overlooked thing in poetry is the structure. Now, I'm not talking about, because remember, we're talking about free verse here. I'm not talking about the structure of, of a sonnet or the structure of a, you know, a haiku where it needs to have this rigid format. I'm not talking about that kind of structure. I mean the internal flow that you need to decide on to see if your order of words are correct to get across your meaning. By you putting them in the wrong sentence flow, the wrong the wrong rhythm, you cannot change your word but screw the whole damn poem up. And we've had this so many times where I've had to tell poets, this flow and structure is not right. You're not considering what's going on. You're reading it too much too, too many times through your damn head and when you do that, you you blind yourself doesn't make any sense because it's about hearing. But in many ways, on that auditory level, you're blinding yourself because you're hearing what you want to hear, but it's not what's going to be read by the reader. It's going to sound all disjointed. And that's really the, the correct word to use in this situation. Until you can correctly structure the flow of your free verse poem, it is going to be disjointed. It makes a real difference sometimes, not as much about punctuation, which we've talked about the you know the grammar crazy people before. That doesn't make as much a pot. In fact, you could do poetry without grammar and, and, and without punctuation all day long and still have credible poetry. 
but you can never do it correctly with the wrong flow or the wrong structure because you ruin everything you're trying to get done even if none of the words need to get improved or changed. So you'd be surprised that a lot of times your editing is not so important about can I improve the way this this poem sounds or can I improve the way this, this poem means or can I just be stronger over here and, and lesser over there when all you really need to do is simply arrange it better so that it comes out and reads a lot stronger and maybe even clearer and more concise like you originally intended it. It's just that you did it incorrectly. I don't know because you're in a rush or you didn't want to forget something or you didn't even realize it. There's so many different reasons. But oftentimes, when you're putting together a poem, it's very, very important to make sure that each emotion or each thought or maybe even each mini idea it's self-contained in the area you want before you move on to that next thing because if you have it flowing together too much it reads badly and then people lose meaning and once they lose meaning they're going to lose heart about what you're trying to do again the rule the world can be cruel they don't give you another chance sometimes Hey, I don't like this one, and I, I think I look like he got like three more over here on this thing. I don't know if I want to read the other ones or not. God forbid you had the wrong flow or structure on all three of them or something. I mean, you're in trouble. I I investigate this. I help folks help fix this, and I edit it according to this. So that's why I'm telling you about how this is important for poetry composition because this is what I'm looking for as well. It's what I look at when I do my own writing. It's what I look at for other people writing. And I see it sometimes even published in other places. I'm like, God, they don't know why they didn't catch that. It doesn't help. It really doesn't. And, and to me, in many ways, it gives false security to a writer to publish them. And, and that, that, that's just structurally crappy. Lyrically great. Intelligent. Even poetic. But it's all convulted. It's all disjointed. That's not helpful, okay? It really isn't. All right? A house, in my opinion, can only be beautiful if it's clean. It can't be beautiful if it's messy. It's just a messy house. There's, 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 a lot of times there's no middle ground. There's no there's no real gray areas to some things. You know, a house is either beautiful or a house is messy. can't be both. It's no different about a, a poem in that way too, Okay? It's either going to be structured correctly and flow correctly or it's going to be a damn mess. The good thing is uh, a decent editor, if they're willing to take the time, they can see the beauty in your words and they can see some of the meaning and some of the original ideas. They can see the poetry in your poetry, but they can also see how you can improve it so it can come out to where you want it to be. Or maybe it can even come out to better than you thought it can be just by some small improvements. I mean, you see that many times in, in your own jobs or your own ways of life on how sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. I mean, if you know anything about relationships with a, a woman or a man or uh, a spouse or, or, or whatever, uh, you're not judged by the big things. You're supposed to pay your taxes. You're supposed to not beat your wife. You're supposed to not to kill people. You're not supposed to abuse your children. You're not supposed to be using drugs and, and acting like an idiot. So the big things you're not going to be judged on because you're not supposed to be doing any crap in the first place. You're going to be judging all the little things. Did you remember her birthday? 
Did you give her a flower when she's not feeling well? Did you give two flowers when you screwed up on something? Do you remember to say something kind when sometimes the moment is not so unkind? Things like that. The little things. They matter. They matter for the long term of a relationship. Well, guess what? They matter for your long term as of being a writer. They matter for that one damn poem that you put together. You have to take it seriously if you want others to take it seriously. If it's just a hobby, don't bother listening to the show and don't bother me then, okay? Because I'm not, I'm not here for hobbyists, all right? Glue an airplane together and go fly it in a park someplace. Hopefully they'll let you do that in these days of corona, but I think you get my gist, all right? Take it seriously, and that's why I say this. So look at a poem. You don't even need to have some expert look at it with you. You can have some this relative stranger or even a relative check it out and say, hey, do you think this kind of flows right? And ask for their honest opinion and then take it. Oh, yeah, oh no, really? That? Oh, I need to look at that. That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. Okay? But just keep to those simple thoughts I mentioned to you, those simple, simple steps on how to get structure and flow, and you're going to be okay in this. Sometimes you might even you might even ask an editor if they say, "Hey, uh, this didn't flow right. Um, you need to look at that." If you still don't understand, ask again. I mean, I don't. I I, I purposely I'll give somebody an example sometimes if they really don't catch what I'm saying. But I'm I'm not there to rewrite their poem, and God knows I don't want them sending it back to me if I just made all these changes, because uh, that's that's really not my job. My job is the editor, not 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 the writer. You're you're the writer, okay? But I'm a writer as well. Far longer than I've been an editor, so I know what to do, and that's why I'm telling you what I think you should be doing because I know exactly what to do. So try to keep that in mind. Eventually, you're going to catch on to this really quickly, and like anything else, internally, it'll become part of your ritual and your system, and then you won't have to worry about that anymore. Your, your poems will come out better. And again, that increases your chances of acceptance. Because structure and flow is important. It's just not pointed out a lot by editors. They know about this, but most of them don't even want to communicate with you. And when they do, they just send you some lazy form letter that gives you some knowledge about nothing. Yeah, it's not about you. It's just we're busy. Ah, it's not about you. We're kind of getting filled up. You know, you just didn't really fit where we're trying to do this time. None of that crap makes any sense because it's all baloney. All right? And I feel that in the end, people are better off hearing the truth. <laughs> or, or at least uh, an educated opinion versus, uh, you know, just, just a, a fabricated, you know, paragraph that someone decided to send to you. It's just not being an editor. It's just being an idiot. Now, next... On this entire subject here, we first talked about how titles matter, and then we talked about the you know the structure and flow and how that needs to be seriously considered. And the last thing here, and it's more like the last things actually, is how you begin and how you end actually makes an enormous difference. So we'll break it down first on the beginning, and then we'll talk about the ending, okay? Because I don't want to confuse anybody and. It's even though it's the my last step in the show, we, it still has two parts. Okay, now how you begin? What does that mean? Well, this is what it means. Okay, 
how you begin a poem is not the title. Okay? The title is the title. I know some people get confused with that. Are you saying that my title sucks and that's how I begin? No, we don't. Beginning is literally the first freaking word or first sentence on how you're going about things. In poetry, I'm telling you right now, it is no damn different than the first sentence in a novel or, or the first the first uh, line in a play or, or the first line in a journalist or article. I don't care what it is. If you're not starting off strong, if you're not starting off useful, something that's going to catch somebody, you, you harm yourself and it really starts going down from there. Because readers are not giving you lots of time. Readers on the internet are even giving you less time. I'm serious. I, I, I look at sometimes that on my own site and I could see, you know, um, who dwelled on something more than who not. Who watched something more than that. Who read something more than that. It's not hard to tell. So, I mean, you, you can see that. So, it's very important. How you start the poem. Pretty much how you begin it, okay? So, if you don't feel that you have a good beginning, but you still want to continue with your poem because you got a good train of thought going, you got some information, some inspiration, you know, that's great. You can use some baloney placeholder thing for now and go back to it later. Just don't forget about that and move on to things. That's fine. It's one of the reasons why sometimes I come across poems that have a crappy beginning and a really good middle and a decent ending. And they just never came back to that. Sometimes they might not have recognized the beginning was crappy. Sometimes they just didn't come back to it. They were so happy with everything else. But a crappy beginning is not helpful because I could tell. And I'll usually go back with somebody and say, hey, you need to revisit this. And again, unlike many other editors, I don't, when I have to do something like that, which is more a rejection, when I'm talking about someone getting a better title, it's not really a rejection. It's just like, why don't you come back with me on this if you get something better? And I, I, I always honor that. When I'm telling somebody about their beginning sucks or their ending sucks, I, I'm rejecting the poem. It doesn't mean that I won't look at it again in, in a, you know another month's time or something if they want to resubmit it because I will. But I'm not looking at it that month. If you just if you're gonna screw this up, you need you need another month or so to go look at that. You don't you don't need to be bothering me again about it. Yeah, I did this and I did that. That's so that's usually how I handle that. I just literally say, this is not working with this. You need to go revisit this. You know. If you feel you, you, you've done something better or something different, you know, see me again. Sometimes they do and it works great. Other times they don't ever again or sometimes they come back and it sucks just again and then that's that. Oh, well. But it's really important. Okay? I say this many times in the show because it's a good literary example. It's just hard to beat this. Okay? We all remember this. Why do we remember this? Because it is such... A stellar beginning. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Who was that? Uh, that was Charles Dickens. Okay. A tale of two cities. I mean. Not only is the title incredible. But the first line already. Giving you a good idea. Now you say. If you try to get deep on it. Well Mark. 
how the hell is that so cool and snappy when uh, it's it's in many ways kind of vague? What? It was the best of times and the worst of times? What the hell is that supposed to mean? Well, Charles Dickens is trying to say, yeah, wait for the damn meaning, but in the meantime, I'm going to get your attention. That's what your job is. Exactly what Charles Dickens intended. Okay? Exactly. Start off strong. Start off snappy. Don't worry about all that deep definition and meaning. You're going to do that later in the poem. Just like he's going to do it later in his novel. Or somebody else is going to do it later in, in, their, in their article or their essay. Or their song or, or, or their play. It'll come. Don't be rushing everything. I'm not saying you need to invest every damn word with some incredible you know, intergalactic meaning. But if you're not grabbing their intention... You know, they're going to go grab a Coke and a smile and that's be the end of you. Okay? So that's why I'm saying that. That's part of your job to do. So keep that in mind. And again, just like the title, if it's something you just need to come back to, to some placeholder thing there just to keep yourself mentally going and work on the other stuff, that's fine. Do that. That's not a bad way of going about things. Okay? No one says that you got to work three days on the first good beginning before you move on to anything else. That's always a bad idea. Because that's how you delay yourself. That's how you can cause yourself writer's block. That's how you make things longer than they need to be. And sometimes you frustrate yourself for no good reason. Okay? There's nothing wrong with coming back to something. Because it's not ready yet. Just move on to the other stuff that will be ready. Or that goes better. It's why. And you could be your own little editor on this if you like. Okay? Go read a bunch of things from, from a bunch of different magazines. You can even mean mine. You'll notice that many times, even when I'm doing my best to try to make sure that people are coming off with a decent beginning and a decent ending, the middle always seems to be stronger. It's just a common thing for for writers. It's just common. Why is that? Well, that's where their best thought was. That was their best timing. That's where their best ideas were coming from. That's where they can expose their most meaning. There's five million reasons for it, okay? There's not one. But in the end, however you want to call it, it seems to be the work on the most. So I'm telling people, try to work a little bit more on the beginning and the ending too, please, okay? I'm not saying you have to give it the same time or even the same, you know, inspiration as the middle. But it has to make some sense. It has to have some some grabbing intention. Um, and then we'll go on to the ending over here. Ending, all right? Where the beginning is about being snappy and the beginning is about grabbing your attention. The ending is really not the opposite of that. It can be snappy, but most of the times I don't prefer that. It can have, you know, what they would call closure, which is not a bad thing. But, you know, in my own philosophy, I hate to have a bunch of writing always with some lovely bow on it. Because to me, that's not always the best thing. I mean, artistically, sometimes it, it works out, but it really depends on the context of the kind of piece you're writing, you know? You're writing some, forgive me for saying, grim piece about, you know, some, some, some like tragedy or some kind of, you know, rough patch in your life, you know, wrapping up with a bow at the end, you know, it seems contrite and, and, and really seems almost like you just lost the... The will to be authentic. <laughs> you know. Or you just want to rush to get the damn thing ended. 
all of those reasons would be crappy, okay? So, what is the best ending? I'll tell you this. There's not really one answer to that. I I wish I had one answer for you because it would make things simple. But we're talking about writing here, folks. And writing is not always going to be simple. Just like life or anything else. But in the end, for ending, okay? An ending has to do at least two things, okay? It has to at least partially wrap up some of the stuff discussed in the poem. Even if it leaves an opening, even if it leaves it that it could be a sequel, even if it leaves some mystery, that's fine. But it it needs to have some kind of partial closure to it. Because, you know, you are ending the damn poem. It can't sound like, what happened to the rest of that, man? Did Did he forgot to put the other three paragraphs in there? That's not really ending then. You just... You haven't figured it out then. I've gotten poems that way. I'm like, I'm even saying to myself, did did I miss something in this email? Where the hell is the rest of this? And I'm emailing them back. They're like, that's that was it. I'm like, uh, no, that was it for you. But that's definitely not it for me. You got to do more over here. What the hell are you thinking? And I wasn't thinking. But when I Google back to thinking, they're like, oh, yeah. So that's a good thing about being an editor sometimes is you can help a writer reinitiate their mind, their senses, or maybe this the set of new eyes from being away from that thing for a moment or two, and now saying, "Oh shit, I, I see what he's saying," and that's great because that's what we should do as editors to help writers. That's really what we're supposed to be doing. That's what I try to do as as much as possible. So, part one of the ending is at least try to partially wrap up some of the elements in there, okay? Don't have to be all of them. That's what partial means. Some of them. Hell, it can even be one. Just try to do something along that lines, okay? Another part of ending could also be that you did wrap up everything, which is okay. Like, again, if you want to do that, if you could do that successfully, it doesn't look artificial. It doesn't look like, you know, you would rush into solve every damn answer in the universe or something. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. It's not always my approach. It's not always the best approach. It's certainly not the worst approach. I have to take it as it comes. So it's hard to judge what's going to be good and what's going to be bad and what's just going to be, you know, making the grade. But it'll be up to the poet in the end. Because what I often do, and, and this might strike some people as being controversial and maybe even other editors if they listen to the show, what the hell? Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I got no problem accepting a poem that I feel is solid enough to get to get published, but it doesn't mean every element of it is stellar and excellent. You can't always ask somebody to do that. That can take a person time. That might just take uh, more maturity. That might take more for them to, 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 to do in it. And I think it's, it's wrong to reject somebody. Because you're telling them, hey, this poem is not an A yet. It's more like a C plus. Or this poem is a B and it should be an A. There's a point where you got to draw a line. You still got to be an editor. You still got to be a publisher of magazines. You still got to have content out there. And I'm saying you're not making lots of literary compromises by doing things this way. But in the end of all endings in this situation, okay... Not every poem is going to be fantastic. 
not every poem is going to be uh, the greatest thing. Not every poet is going to be fantastic out of the gate. So you got to accept that if you're going to encourage them, you're going to have to publish things that that might be uneven at times. You do the best that you can to help instruct them. They do the best to try to formulate something. As long as it's not off the beaten track, as long as it's not completely falling off the rails, you know, it has some coherence, it has some poetry in it, has some meaning, it's not ridiculous. I'll accept work like that. I don't have a problem with that. It's still poetry. It's still writing. It's still important to have out there. It's still important for that writer to have out there. And that has to have meaning to us as well. Not everybody is going to be Walt Whitman, you know, on day one. And it's wrong to have that. That's why I'm always in contention with, with editors that that have these ridiculously, you know, uh, Star Wars uh, statistics over here about you know, if it doesn't have the force with it, it can't be good. I mean, it's stupid. It, it, to me, that makes no sense at all. You know, oh, every damn thing we publish is tremendously excellent, or we don't do it. I just don't want to waste my time. Waste your time? We're we talking about. You're not even doing any time. You're not doing anything. Sending form letters out. Not communicating to people. Just publishing people who have three uh, big awards. And you know went to this college. And has that resume. And blah blah blah. It's, that's not doing anything. Okay. You, you, you're being an idiot. You're not being an editor. Being an editor is. You got to deal with people. Who are not there yet. But can be there. Have the potential. They still need to be published. They still need to be out there. They still need to be encouraged. All right, you're going to do your best with helping them with the grammar and the structure and the ending and all that, but hey, that's what you need to do. If you don't do that, in my opinion, you're not an editor, and editors are not really doing their job most of the times. And writers, unfortunately, until they learn on their own, which could take longer, you know, they don't always get the best treatment and they don't always get the, I, I feel, the, the, the best learning curve because they're just not being taught correctly or, or even been instructed at all. And that's what I try to do on the show. With show like this, particularly, of course, as you know, editor of of Aerial Chart is really important because that makes people better. And when they become better, no different than giving people fish versus teaching people the fishing. It's really the same concept. Help them become more self-sufficient. Help them become more self-aware. Help them more become more independent. And then, for the most part, they don't really have a need for you anymore, and they'll become who they're supposed to be rather than who you are. And that's what you want. You know, and I, I got a feeling that sometimes we have a lot of magazines, a lot of editors out there. They just want you to be who they are or you just can't be accepted into the club. I don't know what the hell they're talking about because to me, there's no damn club. Okay? You're supposed to be who you are. That's the definition I feel of writing. Is somebody unique coming out there and saying something that others are not doing. Well, why is that? Because they're unique and independent and doing something because others don't want to do it. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to say about it. Don't want to be uh, off the fence. Don't want to find a measure of courage or, or, or bravery. That's what sometimes writers do. They fill that gap. They help sometimes other people become braver than they should be. And sometimes in themselves they become braver. So that that's what we do. I don't want to cast and thrust all this stuff on writing as you know we can heal the world okay but what I do think is that it does as an art not only have merit in society 
you know, but it has a therapeutic function. It has a moral compass. It, it, it can at, at times, you know, it, it certainly has the, the musical quality to it. And, and many, and in many instances, I don't care what people tell you privately about things. Most people, they want something read that they can connect to that maybe they can carry with them. I can't tell you how many times I read people's comments on the magazine that I edit. Damn, I could, this is a poem that I, I think I can carry with me. I mean, when they say that, it's that's the way that they used to say things a long time ago. Where they would like force memorize poems that have some real wisdom or strength in them. Because they want to be able to say that in tough times because it helped make them feel better. Almost like a, you know, a, a, a temporary drug or something in a good way, you know. Uh, I mean, that's how a lot of people do Bible verses and, and it helps them. And that's why I never make fun of people about that because to me, I, I see the literature, the literature to that. And I see the, the quality of how that could be helpful. I mean, this is something written six, seven, ten thousand years ago, and people jotting down some verses and memorizing them and and quoting them on times when they have struggle or stress. Why not? That that shows you the the, the enduring strength of writing. Okay, whether you believe it was inspired by God or not, it doesn't matter because in the end, a guy or a girl wrote that, and people are still using it to this day, in a digital age where we're sending rockets. You know, in space every other minute, and we're still remembering things from thousands of years ago. Why? Because words can stand the test of time when they mean something, when they're put together correctly. Think about it. If you want to learn some of the most interesting and basic things about poetry, check out the Bible. Go to the Psalms. That's all that Psalms means. It just means a word of songs. That's how they used to do things back in the ancient days. They didn't sing. They simply quoted a poem and read it and that was considered a song. They didn't actually have the kind of singing we have these days. That still hasn't really been invented yet. That's how they used to do songs. So structure and flow were really important in these Psalms. Because people had to like quote them out to people. It was like instruction and entertainment and, and all kinds of interesting things to help people pass the time. You know, they didn't exactly have, you know, McDonald's or iPhones, you know, uh, when, when they were like shepherding sheep, you know, 8,000 years ago. Okay. But, you know, a psalm or two, you know, you could rock and roll with that. You're not out there feeling alone. Because I don't know about you, but I don't care if I'm with 6,000 sheep. I don't got something to think about. If I don't got somebody to talk to, I'm freaking alone. Because, you know, I'm a city guy. I don't care about one sheep, let alone 6,000 sheep. What the hell am I going to do with these stupid things? You know, bah, bah, all day. It's going to drive me crazy. It's ridiculous. You, you need to write a damn poem just to get away from the sheep. So, if you notice the Psalms and read a couple of them now I'm not telling you this as some kind of religious person or some kind of Bible nut okay on a literary basis if you read the Psalms you're going to see an interesting development happen you're going to notice flow and structure you're going to see how the writer has done this 
for the reason of trying to get across a thought, a memory, an exaltation, which is real important, because especially if you're in you're in pain and you're crying out to a person or an audience or even to a god, like sometimes these psalms do, that has to have its own space. Otherwise, it looks ridiculous and it sounds stupid then, and then it doesn't have a real real authentic meaning to it. So when you see that, it's going to help you with your poetry because you go like, yeah, yeah, I can see exactly what he's talking about. So if you don't catch everything I'm saying on the show, go grab a, a little Bible and, and just go read a couple of those things. You'll be really surprised on how you can improve your poetry just from checking that out. I know it sounds unusual, you know, and uh, for the couple of atheists I do have on the show that occasionally write me, <laughs> um, you don't have to do this, okay? I mean, I'm not telling you to do this, but... You don't have to believe in anything to still see the literature in that and how it could be useful. All right, so. And still say, I don't believe the Bible, but I could see I can get some instruction out of this. So, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to leave that little last note with you because it could be useful. So, the ending, folks. Try to keep in mind, okay, that the ending can't be so open that it doesn't make any sense. Because if you let people out too much from from your poem they feel a bit ripped off they feel a bit i guess you could say even betrayed okay it's not like one of those those uh, those stupid popcorn movies where oh it ended that way they, they want me to come back and spend more money on another movie well you can't do poems that way with such an open ending almost like a sequel almost like it doesn't do anything people would be pissed okay they have a different emotional attachment to your poem versus uh, some two-hour slasher movie, okay? What does that mean? They're expecting better. They're expecting more from you. And if they feel, and believe it or not, for Aerial Chart, we, we, we got a lot of people that confess, hey, I don't even care about poetry anymore, and now I'm starting to get into it again. So that happens because Trying to put stuff out there that can connect to people. And it's not just for other writers. Or not just for other academic people. Or not just for other poets. It, it should try to be for everybody as much as possible. Okay? I know it can't be for everybody as much as possible. But at least that should be the goal. Okay? We get those kind of comments because I, I'm not going to allow those kind of ridiculous endings as much as I can. I mean, I can't always discern... And interpret everybody's ending. And sometimes you just have to let that go. I mean, like I said, I don't believe in perfection. And I'm not trying to strive for perfection. I'm just trying to get at least some of these things out there to people. And try to get some of these general, you know, notions out there. Because they do help improve writing. They help improve writers. But too open of an ending is really not an ending at all. In fact, it's even a contrary... Uh, and the definitions because open does that sound like ending no open sounds more like it just hasn't closed yet again if it hasn't closed yet it's not an ending see so without trying to play word games you know it sounds like a word game and you'll laugh at yourself when you go yeah you're right this was more open than I realized but I'm telling you right now folks we'll wrap this show up here in a second okay almost all of the mistakes writers make in poetry and that you'll make or have made or will make 
in poetry have always to do with you rereading yourself in your head and sometimes even out loud to the point where you've now come immune to the defects because you're liking so much of what's going on and you're feeling you've finally gotten some connection to it and you have in many ways to what you've done but when that happens you could be missing a bad ending or you could be missing an unsnappy beginning or you could be missing that sucky title because like 90% of the poem is excellent and you just don't see the other parts now maybe it's for editor to see these things great but ultimately it's your job to be able to see them before I see them so I don't have to do any more extra work <laughs> that's a joke really but uh, really in the end though for you to be the fully formed writer that you should be you should be able to catch a lot of these things so where it becomes you know um, a rare event that you submit something like that and someone has to say something I still work with people I'm pretty patient about all that and I always will be but in the end writing needs to evolve and people need to improve and this is how this show and this is some of these steps I believe will definitely help you do both of those things Alright folks, God bless and until next time, this is Mark Antimasi with Strength to Be Human, episode 128, Fundamentals of Poetry Composition. Take care until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.